Sunday morning in heaven. What, what do you reckon that's going to be like? Sunday morning in heaven. Would you, would you think about somebody? It's easy to do. When it's somebody you've loved and you walk with and maybe you spent years of your life with and, and now that one is on the other side, that, uh, that one is spending Sunday morning in heaven. No more sickness, no more sin, no more struggling with that fallen part of ourselves, the flesh isn't there, no, no more devil. No more crime, no more crying, no more pain. The old former things have passed away, the Lord talked about. The Apostle Paul says, what we have received down here is just the down payment of the Spirit. <laughs> Can you imagine that one you love who also loved Jesus, who had the full payment working in them right now, the kind of worship that would be? the kind of joy that would be. If there are any tears, they're tears of joy and because we're not, we're not imagining Jesus or what we would think he would look like, but there he is in their presence and they are looking at him, seeing him, hearing his voice, and looking from one side to the other and looking at that great crowd of witnesses Folks who have fallen asleep in Jesus, and that's really all it is, just falling asleep and waking up in heaven, waking up in the presence of the Lord. And they're not weak, and they're not old, and they're not bent over, and there are no walkers in heaven. Well, that kind. I hope there's some walkers in heaven. I hope we make it. But, but those aluminum kind, none of that. They won't be saying, I'll see you in the morning because there's no night up there. No. He is the light. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man gets into the Father's house except by way of me. He stated it negatively, but the positive is everybody who will come by way of me. Faith and trust in me, Jesus, can make it, get into, have a place in the Father's house. I, I just, you know, they get to singing those songs about heaven and this one, the, the, the last one that they ended up with, that, you know, you, you, you go to Isaiah chapter 6 and they're, they're singing that song, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Then you move all those books and chapters in the Bible and end up in Revelation chapter 4, and they're still singing the same song. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Mm. Well, that's not the main subject of this morning, but I just, I just get distracted when we... When it just seems like the atmosphere of heaven, the heart of the Lord, the presence of his goodness fills this house, fills this place. Now, now when, when, you're, when you're out there and you're getting blessed by what's coming off of this platform and the, 
the ministry of these sons and daughters of Asaph up here, these leaders in worship, would, 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 would you just, if you see one of them walk by or you, you know their number, you got their text or text or something, would you just let them know, that, that, that blessed me. That, 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 you, you know, the, 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 the only ones who wouldn't be blessed, the only, the only person in the whole universe who wouldn't be blessed by praises going up to Jesus is the devil himself. You know, but everybody else, everything else ought to, be, ought to be blessed. But sometimes we don't hear that encouragement. And I would in, just want to invite you to, you know, Pastor Rick and these, these ladies and men and the, all the ones that are up there, just, just, just do it every week and we're, we're blessed and refreshed. And I, I'm telling you, the preaching would be even weaker than it is if they weren't doing what they were doing. I get so blessed. Just, just worshiping. I, I've, I've said this many times, and I believe we're coming up on 30 years. Alamo City will be 30 years old first Sunday. What is it? First Sunday in November, I think. And I have said from the very beginning that, it, that I, I had so much rather be a part of a worship service than have to do the preaching in a preaching service. I, I, just, I just love, I love to hear the Lord's people sing, and I love to, I love the voices, the sounds, the heart when we're focusing upon, on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But, but, being that as it may, there is something that I feel like I need to say today. So I, I'm not going to try to sing it to you. That'd really be bad. But uh, you, you thought opera was bad. It would, it would be even worse if I tried to sing this. But. Here, I want you to go with me, if you would, please, to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. The book of Daniel and Daniel chapter 9. Now, while you're finding the book of Daniel, let me ask you a question. How many of you work, make a living, put milk in your refrigerator by gaining your employment from a system. You, you work within a system. Um, that means that you, you, you work under other people. You, you're not necessarily your own boss, but you work within a system. And how many of you, that system is not necessarily the most godly system on the face of the earth? Anybody work for a system kind of like that, that it's secular in all capital letters, bold, underlined, you know, the font size is 40, secular, it's secular. It's a system, it's secular, but I make my living there, I provide for my family there, I'm able to have a roof over the head, and so forth, it, I make my living in a system that is secular. Have you ever thought that because it is a secular system that you as a Christian, you as someone who wants to follow Jesus and you want him to own your heart and you want to live for him, that because that is who you are, that you might not ever be able to make it very far in a secular system. 
I'm, I'm sure that from time to time, you, you, you probably had that discussion to yourself, the three of you, me, myself, and I had a committee meeting, and we talked this over and, and just wonder about it sometimes. To you, my brother, my sister, in a setting like that, and there'll be some other application, but a setting like that, the Lord says, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. This story about old Daniel is just one of the most mind-blowing accounts in Scripture. Anywhere in the Bible that you will find that deals with a situation just like I mentioned. A man who was gaining his livelihood from a system that some way or another, by God's plan, bigger than Daniel's understanding, that God put him into a secular system. But we're going to even add a, put a parenthesis, not by the side of secular, we're going to put the word pagan, comma, perverted, comma, immoral, comma, amoral, comma, and on and on and on, ad infinitum, up to all of the descriptive terms that you could try to use to express the culture of the Babylonians and the culture of the Medes and the culture of the Medo-Persian world. It was as if there were no morals or there were no rules, there were no guides except those given to the people underneath the king or the emperor. It was into that world that God picked up more than likely a teenager and his three friends, Daniel, and then Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and put them took them away from home. We don't, know, we don't know anything about Daniel's mom and dad or brothers or sisters. We just know that evidently he was a part of a royal family or a family of nobility at the time that Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was destroyed. And the protection of God around Jerusalem, the city of the great king, was lifted because it had become so immoral and so debauched from the leadership to the priests right on down that God just lifted his protection and allowed Nebuchadnezzar, when he had allowed no other king in the history of Israel to do to Israel what Nebuchadnezzar was able to do, he allowed Nebuchadnezzar to come in and destroy the city and destroy the temple and gather up these captive young people and haul them off to a foreign culture and bury them in a new place, a different place, a hostile place, a foreign place. And as he did that, Daniel being a part of that, God's plan was amazingly bigger than the destruction of Jerusalem and Judaism as they knew it at that time. It just died. It just passed away. But God still had a plan. 
And his plan for those people, his plan for Daniel, superseded the destruction that Daniel came out of. And he was placed in the middle of this society, this Babylonian society. The reason we say that he was, he was probably a teenager when he came there, went there in 609 B.C., marked the first deportation, the first movement of groups of Jewish young people out of Jerusalem and into Babylon. At the time that we read the story in Daniel chapter 6, where we're, or six, where we're dealing with Daniel in the lion's den, there's a different king. It's no longer Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar was gone, and then there was another king named Belteshazzar who came along, and then at the time that Belteshazzar was put to death, he was put to death at the end of the, of the Babylonian reign, and a Mede king named Darius ascended the throne. And then after Darius passes from the scene, there's another one named Cyrus that succeeded Darius, and Cyrus was the king who allowed the Jews to go back and rebuild, start rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple, reconsecrating the temple. <laughs> Daniel was picked up by Nebuchadnezzar's troops, probably as a teenager, shipped to Babylon, but he endured, he existed, and didn't just exist, he was successful as a secular part of a secular pagan governmental structure throughout four administrations. Now, when we say administration, we're not talking about the, the, the government administration of presidents here in the U.S. This would be the total overthrow, in at least two of these cases, of the former government of a nation, and it would be by, by um, um, military power or by sinister involvement that one king would be deposed and another king would take his place. Daniel survives four of those changes within a system that was perverted, ungodly, not sympathetic to his particular faith. And yet God used him powerfully. And I want to say to you, this is, it's somewhere or another, this just rises up from my boots and just starts coming up. When I get to talking about things like this, I'm wanting to say to young people, I'm wanting to, see, to say to those of you who are, in, who are coming into or maybe you're in the midstream of, of life and into your professional career and there's a sense that you want to do your best there, but, but how can I do my best there with all this secular stuff, crazy stuff, worldly stuff going on and also be a warm-hearted follower of Jesus? Let me tell you, you can do both. Both. You can do both. You can do both. You can do both. Don't make the living God, don't make the real Jesus a church only entity. Don't make him a Christian friends only entity. Don't make him uh, in the Bible staring at the pages or pants raised in praise and worship or dancing down the aisle or falling out. Don't make him just that kind of entity. Because he's bigger than all that. And he knows how he wired you. 
He knows how created you, how he created you. He knows what he's wanting to give you the ability to learn and master and excel in that will have nothing to do with the book of Romans. Not have a thing to do with Hezekiah or 1st, 2nd Samuel. But it is who you are in his hand. And he opens doors by giving you the ability to master certain things, learn certain things, certain talents and abilities where you can get along with people or you can figure things out or you've got, you've got a vision and a dream for the future and you enjoy working toward that. You're a team builder. You love to bring people along for a common goal. Where'd you get that? You got that from the Lord God himself who put that in you because he delights about that in that part of who you are. And so when he gets ready, he's the best HR department that there ever was. He's the best personnel mover and, and shaper that there ever would be. He has a plan for you and a desire to put you in places where your heart can begin to shine. But you'd never be in that place if you couldn't spell your name right. You know, you'd never be able to get through that door if you hadn't had some kind of certification back over here in order to open that door for you. Y'all still with me? I just won't walk. Here, here's Daniel. Here's Daniel. Let, let me show you what reminds you of a verse in Daniel chapter 1. They, they picked these young men and they schooled them for three years. In the Chaldean culture, it was a foreign culture, which meant it was, a, it, was a, it was a foreign language to them. This was not their native language. They were moving into a land where they were the ethnic minority. They were prejudiced against, they were biased against, they were ridiculed, they were ostracized, and so forth. And the only way they would get a leg up in the culture that was hostile was if some way or another there was a category about them, a category or two, that made them exceptional, that made them stand out. It wasn't just because they had the natural birth. They were despised because they were exiles. They were Jewish exiles in a foreign land. But look, look at this in verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17. And as for these four youths, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God, but I watch this. I'm going to tell you this is in your Bible. I'm not making this up. You need to know this is in your Bible. Every, every student, every up-and-coming professional, whatever, every business starter, every, every person, you just need to know this is in the Bible. You say, well, I'm not very smart. I don't know that. I don't have a propensity in that direction. Well, fine. Listen to this verse. And as for these use, God gave them knowledge and intelligence, a degree of which they didn't have evidently in the beginning. Before he gave it to them, they didn't have it. God gave them knowledge and intelligence. Look, in every branch of literature and wisdom, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Now, now this, just look at that. Let that say what that says. God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every kind of literature. What kind of literature was that? Babylonian, Medo-Persian, pagan culture literature. God gave them the ability to understand, to process, 
to step into, if need be, and articulate out from an understanding that they carried within themselves. God gave them the ability to know, to understand, to carry the facts and the knowledge in, them in every branch of literature and wisdom. That word for wisdom is a broad word. It's not just talking about wisdom-type literature, sitting down staring at a star, looking up at a tree limb and thinking something weird. If, wisdom, wisdom literature would have to do with, with knowledge of science, design, architecture, logic, reason, so forth. God gave them the ability to walk down those corridors, to live in those areas in a foreign land. This was not Jewish literature. It was not their native culture. God knew what they were going to need and he gave them knowledge and he gave them intelligence in areas that they didn't have it before they gave it to them. Which also means if God gave it to them, it wasn't sin. I'm going to say you didn't get that. If God gave them the ability, those abilities, in wisdom and in literature, they... For them to pursue that and study that and learn that, not that they would embrace every bit of it or agree with all of it, but the knowledge of it was necessary for them to have for their future position. I'm going to tell you, education, I, probably, I don't know how many decades it seemed like I spent in some type of formal education. And there'd be times in class, like, what in the world is this going to do for me? Why, why am I sitting here doing this? Listen, I'm, she, he or she is boring me to tears. Worst professor, worst teacher in the history of education. I got six of them in all of my courses. And you're sitting there just trying to talk yourself out of it. And then you read a verse like this, and you realize, here's what education is. It's not that you're going to stay there all day, but it is a, it's a set of keys. Education gives you a set of keys to unlock doors for your future that you would never be able to go through if you didn't have that key. Now, I'm not saying it's always college formal education, but there are processes and we can squirm, we can say whatever we want to say, but the scripture gives us the understanding that the Lord will use a system of training to prepare you, to prepare us for the things to come. Daniel would never have been even considered to be named as even a lower level administrative help in any of these administrations if he hadn't mastered this first learning, this initial cultural exposure and involvement. And God gave him the ability to do it. God gave him the ability to do it. It wasn't that God gave him 6,000 verses of Scripture, just instantaneous memory, just like just pull up on his minimum Scripture, and he can spout out. He can do that. He can do that. He can cause the Word to come alive. But this isn't talking about scriptural knowledge. This is talking about marketplace knowledge. This is talking about being able to move in a culture that is foreign to you, a setting that is different than what you're familiar with, and be able to not just, not just cope with it, but literally be able to thrive in the middle of it. Okay, amen, preacher, preacher. I know somewhere there's some meat in there. Just give it to us somewhere. I'm, I'm saying that because there can be some of you sitting out there thinking, I just need to quit. I don't know what this is for. This thing is too secular or there's too much stuff that I've got to learn that doesn't seem to have anything to do with what my real life is about. Please consider 
What if God sees where you are right now is not where you're going to end up, but it's a step in the direction of another place. It's movement in the direction. And Daniel came to be known as, as one ex, who excelled in these areas. In verse 19, the king talked with them. Three years training was over. King called them in, talked with them. And out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the king's personal service. Why? Because they excelled in the system of preparation. Well, it's a secular system. God gave them the ability to learn it. God gave them the ability to do well in it, to excel in it, not just to cope and barely make it, but to excel in it. So much so that Nebuchadnezzar himself, who had been the very one who commanded the armies and they destroyed Jerusalem, now they're face to face with the one who had destroyed their homes, face to face, and this, this king is blown away by what he sees in these young men. Verse 20. And as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers, his advisors. Now, there was a spiritual dimension, a, 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 a fallen dark side, spiritual dimension, but it was still about these advisors that would advise the king on various matters of policy. They'd throw in certain types of astrology and, and all, but it was, it was still, they were his advisors, and he found these four young men to be 10 times better than all the magicians. What was he quizzing them about? Was he quizzing them about the book of Psalms? Huh? Would you please talk back to me? Was he quizzing them about, about the Exodus? Was he quizzing them, you know, about the major prophets? What did Isaiah have to say and so forth? No. He was quizzing them about things that would matter to the jurisdiction of the kingdom. He was talking through with them, posing them to them various situations and wanted to get their response about how they would handle various administrative problems and so forth. And he was impressed. What, what, let me just throw this one in there too. What did Jesus say? You let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, observe your good works, and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. As you, as, as those who are watching, See how well you do what you do. The attention won't just be on you. It'll be on the God who gave you the ability to do what it is you do well. That's exactly what's happening here. It's a principle. It's a principle. We can get up and, and preach and stomp and have verses on, you know, on our walls and have a great big cross around our neck. But if we're not working hard, if we're not loyal, if we're not, if, if we're not helping the system, it's as if, who wants to listen to you? you know, I, I get, it so disappoints me sometimes. I, say, I will hear folks say in the business community, if people will say they're a Christian... My knee-jerk reaction, Pastor, is to not do a contract with them, is to not 
is, is to not be involved in business with them because they're liable to lie or they're liable to not come through on their part of the deal or they have come up with some, some corn. You say, well, God just told me I didn't need to do that. He didn't tell you to lie. He didn't tell you to break a contract. He didn't tell you. That wasn't God. Well, I, I'm not there to add that kind of commentary in those conversations. But it should never be that way. It should never be that way. That we, th- we throw the Christian card in order to get our foot in the door. And, and, then, and then we don't live up to what it is that we say. Well, that, that's a shame on you or us whenever that happens. That wasn't the case with Daniel. That, that they were evidently young men who carried themselves with the sense that my word is my bond. If I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm not going to neglect my responsibility. I'll get it done. Okay? Well, all that in the beginning. They had that, the character part that went along with the intelligence part. The mind part consistent with the character part. And that's how the Lord would intend. Okay, so, so that's the early days. Turn over a few more pages. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. In 609 B.C., the first deportation happened, and that probably was when Daniel and his four friends were taken to Babylon. When we get into chapter 6, and he rule, he's elevated to position of leadership under Nebuchadnezzar's administration and his rule. Then Belteshazzar comes and takes Nebuchadnezzar's place. And at the end of Belteshazzar's place or time, Daniel was still in a position of influence and he would interpret dreams and visions and, and they'd seen this finger writing on the wall. You remember that story? Having a big feast and his finger appears out of nowhere and starts writing things on the wall. Nobody could understand what it was, so they called Daniel. And Daniel says, many, many, take all your farce and you've been weighed, 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 but now you're found wanting lacking in the sight of God and your kingdom will be taken from you. That night, that king was murdered, was put to death and the Babylonian control shifted over to the Medes, Babylonians, Persians, and there was some affiliation between them, but, but power and the resting of that power working within, within the, 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 the governmental system. But when when that king was put to death, then Darius, who was a Mede, rose up. Archaeologists have found that there was not change. That, that did not happen. The, the, the Medo-Persian change did not happen until 539 B.C. So you're counting down in B.C., right? From A.D. we get bigger. From B.C. we're counting down to the Anno Domino, the, the year of our Lord. So if Daniel came in 609 and, this, and, and, and the, the Medes overthrew the Babylonians in 539, what happens in, in Daniel chapter 6 has to have happened after 539 because that was because we've got a Mede king, Darius. The reason I'm saying all that is Daniel, Daniel started as a teenager, but by the time we hit the, hit, hit the lion's den, Daniel's scholars believe is more than likely in his 80s. He's, he's an older fellow. He, this was not his first rodeo. He had been through these things before. Kings had come and gone. But for some reason or other, he was still around. So Darius the king 
takes over at the age of 62, about the age of 62, Daniel 6, verse 1. It seemed good to Darius to appoint 120 satraps, governmental leaders, heads over districts or, or areas of responsibility and some other, 120 satraps over the kingdom, that they should be in charge of the whole kingdom. And over them, over the 120, three commissioners of whom Daniel was one that these satraps might be accountable to them and that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and the satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit. And the kingdom and the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom. Then, and a big then, because it's tied to what was just mentioned, that the king planned to appoint him over the entire kingdom, then the commissioners and satraps began trying to find a ground of accusation against Daniel in regard to government affairs. But they could find no ground of accusing or evidence of corruption, inasmuch as he, Daniel, was faithful. And no negligence or corruption was to be found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king and spoke to him as follows, King Darius lived forever. All the commissioners, which they lied about that right off the bat, there were three of them and there were only two of them that were in on this plot. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man besides you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, who liked the sound of that, they appealed to his ego, they appealed to his, to his pride. Therefore, King Darius signed the document that is the injunction. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed, he entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Then these men came by agreement, found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God, and then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Verse 13, then they answered and spoke before the king 
Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Now you hear in that language the sound of an ethnic slur. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah. King, he's not one of us. He didn't come from here. He's a problem, not a blessing. And in their mind, he was a threat and he was a reason to be jealous. They had known, they had heard that the king was going to very likely appoint Daniel just under him as his only direct report in the organization. And the other commissioners would be under Daniel and all the 120 would be under Daniel. They were jealous of his position and they were in fear of what he might do. Secular system, depraved, debauched to the core, and it's almost as if the Lord just threw Daniel into that. Any of you ever felt that way <laughs> about where you ended up working or who you ended up working for or what it could look like? The circumstances may be turning against you to, to appear where you are. Hang on to this. As long as God has a purpose, as long as he has a purpose in where you are, and you are caught up in the purpose of God, you ain't going anywhere. It won't mean that there won't be attempts to push you out. It won't mean that there won't rise up sources of jealousy and ones who are afraid because you're just not one of them. Daniel survived and he was prosperous in this, but he didn't become one of the Babylonians. He didn't become culturally and from his heart identified with him. He was a God man. The Lord owned his heart. He just made his living working for pagans and letting his light shine and letting the kindness and the truth and who God really is be seen through his life. It's not to say that when you're in a system, there won't be some sinister plans formulated against you just try to get you moved. But the point is, as long as God wants you there, as long as it continues to be a part of the purpose of God for that institution, for your light to shine there, for his influence to be known, you're not going anywhere. Try as they might, scheme as they might, plot as they might, leverage as they might, the Lord says, trust me. Trust me. <laughs> Now, he wouldn't holler that at you. I'd just holler that. I don't think that's the Lord's tone. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. 
Man has plans. God has plans. When there's a contradiction between the two, there's only one who's going to win, and that's going to be the Lord who chose you, picked you out, drew you to himself, invested in you those things that only he could put in you to make you with that disposition of greatness inside you. He will be there, and he will protect, and he'll do what's necessary finish his purpose with your life. Okay, go back to this again. Verse 14, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him, even though the binding law of the Medes and Persians was in place and there was nothing he could do about it. But why did the king, why did this bother him so much? That Daniel was going to be taken from him. Folks, listen. There was something about Daniel's exceptional spirit, extraordinary spirit, that drew the king to him. Daniel would never be the king's boy. Daniel would never be trying to do things just to to make his way easier in a system that was filled with places where the things that pleased God were not the same as the things that pleased men, and he was determined to please God. But even with all of that going on, the king, the one in authority, saw in Daniel some character qualities, some abilities that he didn't see in others, any of other guys. And though Daniel wasn't one of his boys, wasn't one of the ethnic group, The king was drawn to Daniel because he felt like he could trust Daniel. That Daniel would not neglect his duties, that he would care for things. He would tend to things. Folks, listen, listen. Don't don't think this thought that just because you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, that God can't give you favor in the eyes of somebody who isn't a follower of Jesus. Somebody who's the head of a large organization, or in this case, it was, it was the king. Some way or another, God just let Daniel stand out from the crowd. And the king, privately, not sure how private it was, but he was, he was beginning to let it be known, I want Daniel to be over the rest of this. Why? Because I can trust him. Because he will take care of the things assigned to him. Do you realize how important that is? I just want to, I want to stand people against young ones up and have so much potential and kids over here, young people. I'm going to just say, listen, it's not going to take rocket science for you to be able to lead your generation. All it's going to take is that you will prove yourself to be trustworthy, that you'll be loyal, that you're not going to be lying. You're not going to be letting everybody else rule over you. There's a bigger, you've got a, you've got a bigger source, a bigger person who, 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 who controls you and helps you. Your, your world is bigger than what you can see right here. But while you're in this world, if you give your word, you're going to keep it. If you say you're going to do something, you'll do it. If you were wrong, you admit it. But you're a part of the system instead of somebody and you're willing to be a team player instead of somebody who's always trying to divide stuff. Folks, listen. The ones in authority hear all that stuff. They've got ears under every chair. And they hear the private stuff. And they know when there are ones who may have all the pedigree, but you can't trust them any far and you can throw an F-150. 
And they know it. So here is somebody who has none of the background, but this excellence of spirit is that he's trustworthy, he's not negligent, and there's no corruption working in him. And the king says, I want that one to be by my side. I want that one to advise me. I will see to it that that one has what that one needs in order to wield the influence that I need for him to wield in this kingdom. And then lo and behold, a devil pulls a fast one on the king and uses a law to trap him. But, 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 what the devil means for evil, God will use for good. So here are these, here are these safe traps and here are these two out of three commissioners. Like, oh, we got him, 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 we got him. The king called for Daniel to be thrown and cast into the lion's den, verse 16. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God, now he's not my God, but your God, whom you constantly serve, will himself <laughs> deliver you. Now, I don't know whether that was wishful thinking on the part of that king or whether that really was he had heard something from God. But that prophecy was exactly how it would turn out. And a stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own sign ring and the rings of his noblemen and so forth. Then the king went off to his palace and had a terrible night. You know, spent the night fasting, no entertainment and all that stuff. Verse 19. Then the king arose with the dawn at the break of day and went in haste to the lion's den. And when he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice, King spoke and said to Daniel, here's this, here's, this, here's this king. You know, by then his crown was probably a little lopsided over here. His royal robe had a little mud on it because he got out so quick going to check. Daniel, Daniel, he's talking to a rock. Stone's still over the hole. Daniel. Servant of the living God, he said. Has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Dramatic pause. Don't know how long it was. Maybe just a second or two. Then Daniel spoke to the king, and the voice is coming through the rock. O king, live forever. My God <laughs> sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as I was found innocent before him. And also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king understatement here, was very pleased 
and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatsoever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Because he had leaned on his God. Because he had counted on his God. Because he was trusting in his God. Oh, oh. And then the king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel. You know what that, and the literal Hebrew translating of maliciously accused, not the English translation, but the Hebrew translation is those who had eaten a piece of Daniel. Translated maliciously accused. And they cast them and their children and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then Darius the king wrote to all peoples, nations, and men of every language who were living in all the land. May your peace abound, the king begins. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, Men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Not fear and tremble before Daniel, but to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and enduring forever. This is the king. This is old pagan. Mr. Pagan. All capital letters. Size 40 font. Perverted as the perverse can be. But listen how he's talking. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And his dominion will be forever. He delivers, now watch this. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Nebuchadnezzar, Belteshazzar, Darius, Cyrus. Survived, endured, excelled, was a blessing to four pagan administrations because the Lord was with him. Now look, let me end with this. God may allow you to be in a place to go into a lion's den or nearly there for the purpose of the people who are watching you go through that. See how the Lord brings you through that. And in no other way that Darius could possibly have understood there is a real God, there is a living God, and he rescues and he delivers. How did Darius know that? He watched it in Daniel's life. All of the power that the system had to come against Daniel was thrown at him. Even down to the legally binding, you're toast, you're dead, you're lying, supper. Except for the fact that there is a God in heaven. His name is Jesus. And when he needs to be comforter, he comforts. 
When he needs to be counselor, he counsels. But listen to me. When he needs to be a warrior, he knows how to fight. When there needs to be a deliverance for his child, he steps into the fray unashamed without any hesitation, and he does whatever it takes to deliver you. This was the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah who just made a calling on that lion's den. Now you go to sleep. You lay on your side. You shut your mouth. You curl your tail. You let Daniel put his head on you. And Daniel comes out the next morning without a scratch. He went through it. Sometimes we have to go through it professionally, in the family. You're in trouble for what you believe. Sometimes we have to walk through it. That does not mean that God has run out of options. That it's going to be as has been forecast about you. No. Men have plans. God has victory for his children. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me, the Lord says. Trust me. When you're in trouble for what you believe. These stories in our Bible, these Old Testament stories are in there, the Scripture would say, for our instruction and for our encouragement. If he has done it before, he can do it again. Would you just bow your heads with me, please? Anybody in this place, anybody in this place like Daniel, you're in the system. It's a secular system. They seem to make the rules up as they go. But God has you there. He's given you ability to learn. He's given you ability to figure some things out. He's given you the ability to talk about vision type things. And, but you don't share everything, very much of anything maybe, except the air that we breathe with those that you're working around and even working for. Would you just make your simple prayer one something like this, Lord, will you use me for everything you want to use me for in this place? If it's an encouragement word to encourage to, to a custodian, if it's a, if it's being a blessing to somebody's hourly wage, if it's letting somebody that's a colleague lateral line, know that I'm praying for them when the child gets sick. But God, if it's, if it's me just doing my job well, 
Help me not to neglect anything. Help me to show the care that you that pleases you. Lord, help me to be faithful. Help me to be able to be an encouraging part of the team so that as I let my works be seen, somewhere down the line, Lord, somewhere down the line, they'll realize that who I am is not me. It's not all about me, it's not, but it's, it's you that they will somehow be able to give you the credit for the life that I have lived before them. Folks, listen, please, please. Again, we say it, we say it. This is halftime. This is not the game. Church is not the game. Church settings, Christian gatherings are not the game. It's halftime. It's where we get rested. It's where we get encouraged, get something to drink, get something to eat. But the game, the battle, the game, the fight is Monday through Saturday. And Jesus is not just a church-building entity. He cares about Tuesday noon. He cares about Thursday afternoon. He cares about Monday morning. There's not an email coming your way. There's not a text. There's not an assignment. There's not a potential this week that he doesn't already know and he doesn't care about. And the Lord has said, you'd be anxious for nothing. But in everything, with prayer and supplications, specific prayers, with asking, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Talk to him about everything. Bring everything that comes up that concerns you to him. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this room with us this morning. Just ask that you'll take these words from your word any direction they need to go in the circumstances of our lives and our understanding of where we are and what we're to do. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being our comforter, for being our encourager, for working the heart of a champion up within us when we need it. I thank you for the Daniels in this room. I thank you for the Daniels who are becoming Daniels and will be moved into those places of increased influence as the days go by because of what you're doing in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen.